Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. A lot of people think like, hey, because the business is a lifestyle business, I'm not going to grow that fast. I might not make a lot of money, but it's going to be more lifestyle focused. They're not mutually exclusive. You can have a very large business and be location independent and have a lifestyle focus. That was a clip from our wonderful guest today, Neil Parak, who helps people run their local businesses completely remotely and travel the world. And in fact, he did that for himself. He quit his corporate job, traveled to 35 countries over five years, and built a local location dependent, yes, you heard that right, dependent business that generated over $10 million in sales, all while living the nomad lifestyle. And although it may sound counterintuitive to some, Neil makes a strong case for starting a local business and making it location independent. How do you do that? Well, That is a big topic in today's interview. Neil built up his company Made This, which is a work-from-anywhere cleaning franchise focused on vacation rentals, and he did it all while he was (laughs) backpacking and traveling in hostels and doing that whole thing. In fact, he doubled his business in that first year. He talks about that. He gets into a ton of lessons around building a location-dependent, location-independent business, including why it's easier to compete on the local level, why you should consider starting or growing a local business. His two big criteria for choosing a successful local business that can be run remotely, why having the mentality of making your business remote is so critical, how he overcame some of the challenges around the things that are required of him to be in person. We get Neil's take on following your passion versus starting a business based on an opportunity or potential income and plenty of lessons here to get you off and running or give you some ideas and perspectives on creating a profitable remote business, another way to do it. And on the travel side, we cover plenty of other stuff too. Of course, his life as a recovering nomad, what it's like to upend your nomad identity, universal lessons he learned from surviving on a desert island for three days alone, why Neil got kidnapped on purpose, the biggest benefit of learning survival skills, how our ability to normalize anything as humans can empower you to build an unconventional lifestyle and so much more. Plus, I'm going to share a little bit of my experience running a tiny local business of my own back in the day, not too long ago. And my number one takeaway that I got from that, something to leave you with at the end of this interview. Plus, I want to give a shout out to somebody in this listening community whose gap year seems to be leading into something more. And she has a little bit of advice to share with you as well. So all of that happening right now. Thanks for being here. Buckle up, strap in, 
and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I am fresh back from a border run. It's been a long time since I've done a border run. It's, it's not what you're thinking. It wasn't for a visa or anything like that. I'm actually up visiting my in-laws here in rural Norway, inland. And I just took a trip with my family over to Sweden. This is a popular thing to do here and, and kind of a funny thing because, well, I guess I just didn't know it was a thing until I moved to Norway. But apparently, certain things are a bit more affordable in Sweden. And my in-laws live not too far from the border. It's about a 30-minute drive and another 20 minutes after that to get to this small town called Idra. And they have... <laughs> a grocery store, a place where you can buy beer. It's all much cheaper, and a lot of Norwegians cross the border to buy a bunch of stuff in Sweden, mostly alcohol and certain foods that you can't get here and things like that, uh, and come back. So, yeah, I had a, a wrap with a reindeer meat and some coffee, and we did some shopping, and it was all good and uh, just... Uh, a fun little travel experience for me. And I know it's normal for them growing up to just bounce over to Sweden and, and buy some stuff. But for me, it's kind of like a little travel experience, you know? It's cool to take a drive and then you see it, you're in a new country and you got a new flag and just kind of cool anyway. So that's what I did today. What are you up to? Hope you're doing well. I'm kicking off with that because I always want to invite you to get in touch and let me know what you're up to. Drop me a line. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. And also, you can leave me a voicemail really simply by clicking the link here in every show notes and drop me a message. In fact, I got an email from a listener recently that I wanted to share with you who took a gap year and turned it into a life of travel or seems to be turning it into a life of travel. And I want to share what that's about in a moment. First, a little bit more about this interview with Neil. He reached out and I thought this was a really interesting and different take because when we look at the digital nomad landscape and uh, remote work, particularly, I guess, in the nomad scene, it seems like if you've done any research or you've been in that bubble at all, a lot of the same types of businesses show up. People talk about online businesses and you know, drop shipping or blogging or starting an Amazon FBA business and all of these things. And Neil doesn't teach any of that. In fact, he's just sharing his experience building his own local business and running it remotely. And he actually helps people do that over his podcast. He's the host of the Remote Local Podcast. And you can check that out at beremotelocal.com. I wanted to give him a shout out there uh, because he gives a ton of information here. And I really think podcasts like this can be helpful for everybody, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, or you think you may never start a business or you run your own business now, you never know what life's going to throw out you. I like to have 
as many sort of perspectives and ideas as I can around generating income from anywhere. I just think it's a, a good thing to know and to be aware of. And sometimes conversations like this spark new ideas. And even if you don't think you're going to do anything with it right now, you never know if you might in the future. Of course, that's only about half of this interview. We focus on the business stuff. We also get into travel experiences and his, his nomad life and things like that. So there's really a lot packed in here. And stick around after the interview. Like I mentioned at the top, I'm going to share my number one takeaway from running a small little side hustle local business and what I learned from that. Just a little personal takeaway. I will, of course, leave you with a quote from one of my favorite philosophers today, one that always gives me a lot of perspective on my life. And a little surprise for you, a little preview, a sneak preview, if you will, of next week's podcast. So stick around for all of that after the interview. Now, this shout out is to somebody I've met in person. We've been in contact throughout uh, her journey to traveling the world, and I'm really excited for her, and she had some advice to share with you, so I thought that I would give her this shout-out in this show. It's from Crystal. Hey, Crystal. She said, hi, Jason. Just want to drop in and say hello. It's about four months into my gap year. I'm home for a few weeks visiting family and friends. I was just listening to your new podcast episode. Time goes fast. Goes on to say that listening brought her back to two years ago when, quote, I commuted to work for an hour and back while religiously listening to your show. Now I'm actually living it, which feels so surreal. I wanted to encourage your listeners who are hesitant to jump in and follow their dreams to just do it. It's so worth it and changes your entire life perspective. I saw the Northern Lights in Canada, spent five weeks island hopping in Hawaii, spent two months backpacking in Mexico and Belize, and I'm off in a few weeks to Ecuador, the Galapagos, and camping in the Amazon. I was planning on traveling for a year and going back to the, quote, real world, get a house, settle down, still travel, but be more adulting. Now I realize there's no way, at least not now. I'm already planning on traveling with my dog, working remotely, and exploring the States after my gap year, and possibly moving to Hawaii for a few years. You were so right when you said that travel changes your perspective and life course, and for the better. Just listening to your podcast brought me back to 2020 when I was driving to work, saving and working and saving some more. Just wanted to thank you. Feels surreal to fast forward two years later and actually live out the thing I've been working so hard for. Keep on rocking, Crystal. And I want to say congrats to Crystal. Thank you. And yeah, just wanted to share this because these stories inspire me. Hope they inspire you coming right from the listening community. And Crystal obviously worked hard for this and saved and took the gap year and now it's turning into much more and you never know whether it's a gap year or a gap month what uh, a commitment to travel can do for you and what it can do for your life so just another reminder for all of us the power of travel to take us on new paths to change our lives in unexpected ways speaking of that let's get into the interview Today, you know, Neil taking this remote work approach to his local business really changed his life, put him out on the road for years and doing something that you don't hear a lot about, which is why I wanted to bring him on the show. So he's going to bring his wisdom and advice to you today. Now in this interview, stick around on the other side for a little wrap up and the things I mentioned before and I'll see you over there. Enjoy this chat. Thank you. 
Well, I'm really excited to welcome Neil Parak to the show, who is sipping on something over there because it's early morning in California. What are you drinking? Highly caffeinated tea to make sure I could wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I'm about 20 cups of coffee in, which most people can guess if they listen to this show. So anyway, welcome, man. How are you? I'm excited to be here, man. Um, It's been, it's always nice coming on shows like travel related, especially post COVID where I get like my juices pumped up to go travel again. So I'm stoked, man. Yeah. Are you, are you gearing up to travel again or what, what's your plan? Uh, after June, I'll probably take off for a while. I kind of, and I'm sure we'll get into it, I kind of stopped nomading, obviously, when uh, COVID happened. And it's been kind of nice being settled in one place for a while. Like, I got a lease and everything, and it feels, felt a little strange at the beginning. But I'm enjoying it. But also itching to, like, kind of go explore a little bit more. So gearing up to, to head out for a few months, at least. Yes. We're definitely going to get into that, because I think I read somewhere you were a recovering nomad, I think was how you put it. So I know it's it's a... It's tough to kind of adjust to the non-nomadic life. It's a whole it's it's completely changing your lifestyle, right? So yeah, it's a weird shift of lifestyle plus like in some ways identity change, which is harder, right? If that's what you've been doing for a long time and all of a sudden you shift out of nowhere. So, yeah, definitely a tough trans- transition for a lot of people. I think the identity shift part is a big part of the learning process coming off the road. Uh, at least for me it was. We have a lot to talk about because you you have built a successful location-dependent, location-independent business. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Yeah. And this was a different take because, well, I want to get to the pros and cons of that. And of course, the nomad lifestyle and, and why you're sort of recovering and you know a bunch of tips around all of that. But I want to start with your ability to survive on a desert island. (laughs) (laughs) You saw that, huh? (laughs) Yeah, man, this looked so cool. So I want to get Tom on, on the podcast. So just, just to give people, give people a background of what I'm talking about. And then I really want to dig into this because you had a whole long Twitter thread about it that, I mean, you could say maybe it went a little viral. I thought it was pretty interesting. A lot of good. good lessons out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give everyone a quick background. So I um, actually signed up a couple of years ago, but I met a guy named Tom while traveling who both of us know. And uh, he runs a company called Desert Island Survival, where they take you on survival expeditions and strand you on a desert island, like Castaway. And Jason, I grew up That's what watching. you pay for. That's your vacation, yeah, right? That's my vacation. <laughs> like the two questions I get is like, like, are they paying you for this? Or like, what, what are you doing? Uh, and the other one's like, are you crazy? Uh, so, uh, but I grew up pretty much watching movies all the time. Like I, I my parents had video rental stores growing up. Uh, so like I've seen Castaway and all these movies, of course, in my mind, I just want to, I want to recreate that. Right. So I heard about this, I signed up and what it is, is, um, for 10 days, you're on the Island. The first few days are with a guide and you get trained up how to survive. And this is everything from like how to make fire, how to build shelter, how to find fish, um, everything around that. And the last days you're in isolation or survival where you're just by yourself and you just have to survive basically. Uh, and you know, I was eating everything from like snails to iguanas to like stingrays, just like trying to survive. Uh, and this is so outside of what I normally do, uh, but I love the challenge of it. And so it was just a fascinating experience. I got back two weeks ago and I'm still itching from the bug bites. Uh, but it was, it was incredible. It was off of Panama. Yeah, I should link to this Twitter thread because I'll just highlight 
one thing you said here. You said, within a couple days of being on the island, I was running around at night with a wooden spear, hunting fish and iguana, climbing up coconut trees with a machete, bathing and washing everything in the ocean. The crazy part, this felt completely normal within only two days. <laughs> and you were bringing up the point of humans being able to normalize anything in a very quick manner and being adaptable. And there were a lot of other lessons in there that I feel like you pulled out uh, upon reflection on the experience. So I wanted to hear what some of those lessons were for you and dig a little bit into that whole experience. Absolutely, man. Uh, so the first one is kind of like what you talked about, if we can normalize anything. And I think this relates to travel. I think it just relates to literally anything in life. But let us I'll, I'll give you the example of the Desert Island. Um, like you said, like within a couple of days, I was doing stuff which I would never have dreamed of the week before. Right. Like just in, in, like I was running around with wooden spears at nighttime, like catching stuff and just like eating anything that moved. And it was ridiculous. Uh, and I kind of realized like, oh, wow, we are incredibly adaptable. So that was lesson one where, you know, if you think you're going to get into a situation, you're not sure how you're going to react, just do it and you'll be surprised that your mind kind of just takes over. So even people listening who are expiring nomads, you want to go travel, you're worried about, you know, this is not what I do. I don't stay at hostels. I don't backpack. I promise you, you will become used to it way quicker than you think. Uh, it's just humans adaptability. And that's something which was very apparent on the island. Um, just an intense situation of, of how different it was from norm, where I realized like, wow, we are incredibly adaptable. Um, the other big one, Jason, for me was like, just understanding that everything's a want, not a need. And that was very humbling for me to kind of figure out. And a lot of it is because um, when you're in survival mode, you are living off of four things. Like all you need is four things, fire, shelter, water, and food. That's all you need, right? And then you could survive. Um, so we we're kind of grinding down to the bare bones version one of those needs. And uh, when you're living in version one of those needs for a while, you realize like all you want is version one. You don't like version two and up is like, Hey, instead of sleeping on this hand, maybe you'll upgrade to like some sort of cot, right? And like, I didn't even care about that. I was like, I don't, that, that sounds like a luxury I really don't need. I just need the basic version one of it. So you kind of realize a lot of the things we want in life end up being later versions of the bare four necessities fire, shelter, water, and food. And you don't necessarily need it to survive. You survive on the first, first level of those four things. That's okay. Um, so that actually makes things a lot easier. Uh, and I guess you appreciate the other, things more and you kind of realize like, yeah, all of that's a want. You don't really need it to survive and and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's crazy how you almost have to strip it down to that level and experience it, it for a while until you kind of come to that realization. Like it's just easy to take the things around us for granted sometimes. Right. But next thing you know, when you, it's very visceral, when you're, you know, sleeping on the sand and sand's getting in your mouth and you're hungry and thirsty and you got nothing to eat and you're running around with a spear trying to catch your food yeah. and you're like, Oh, want and need. Got it. <laughs> got it. Check. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> well, I think yeah. the adaptability part is, is a really huge point on a lot of levels too, because you know, if you're not getting the support around you to become an entrepreneur or to, you know, go traveling or start a nomad life or whatever, it's a good thing to remember that people, the people around you will adapt as well to this new reality. If you decide to do it and you're like, your parents don't approve or whatever, well, guess what? Everybody will adapt to, to the new situation and probably quicker than you think. They might not like it, you know, for a little while, but... Yeah, life just moves on and everyone's kind of in their own world to begin with, right? So it's like, you know, you might think on the outside, like, oh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of pressure not to do something. 
like you said, people adapt, people move on. They're doing their own things in their own heads. It doesn't really matter to a lot of people in the long run. So yeah. yeah. Did you have this kind of support growing up uh, as far as the lifestyle that you've led? What was your sort of values growing up? Or what did yes. people expect of you, I guess, if anything? Yes, um, I'm Indian by ethnicity, so first generation, meaning my parents immigrated from India over here. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you know a lot. Um, I, I think, did you grow up in Denver? Outside of Philadelphia, or, I grew up. Oh, outside yeah. of Philly. Okay. Okay. Yes. I saw that you were in Colorado for a while. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if you know much about the immigration population and mentality in the United States, but uh, a lot of people immigrated in the 70s, 80s, uh, and still continuously. And a lot of their mindset is just survive right? Like you come to the country, you have no money. You're like, okay, it's hard to get a job because of my education or my accent or whatever. Like, let me just start my own business and just hustle. And that was very much my parents. They came here, not much money and just hustled. And all they cared about was surviving. And then when they had kids, uh, I think a lot of that survival mentality carried on of like, you know, I didn't realize people ordered appetizers at restaurants and that was a normal thing. Like I, if I would try to order soda, my parents would be like, "Are you kidding me? We're not going to order soda. Like, what are you? What are you crazy? We don't have that luxury, right?" So it's, it's very much the mindset of uh, you know, kind of grind and survive. So a lot of um, in, immigrants came here with the mentality, and what they pass on to their kids is, "Hey, go graduate college, go get a stable job, you know, go become a doctor, engineer, lawyer, or something, and just survive in this country and make good money. Um, you know, don't take too crazy risks." It's a great land of opportunity and you could kind of just grow from here. So that was a lot of what was instilled in me to begin with. So um, getting to your question back when I decided to go out and travel and kind of do crazy experiences, I wasn't doing that before. I was working in finance. I worked in private equity for a few years uh, and it was a lucrative job. I was on a good career path. And I said, hey, I'm listening to these crazy podcasts and I really, really feel inspired to like go travel. Let me quit everything and get a backpack and go to Columbia. And of course, my parents are like, are you crazy? You're on such a great career path. Why would you throw that away to do this? Um, and I got lucky where they were never pushy. They never told me you can't or can't, you have to do something. So they kind of just, I think were scared internally and voiced some of their fears. Uh, but then I still went for it. And now I think, you know, they're incredibly proud. I was uh, traveling out of country for about five years, bouncing around, um, built my business, scaled it, turned it into a franchise and kind of kept growing it from there. And only recently, I'd say, is when I started to do a couple of these little bit crazier experiences. Like last year, I did, I got kidnapped on purpose at Salt Lake City. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thought the yeah. desert island thing was your, was your, was your thing. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they just keep coming up. When you do one, then another one pops up, and you're like, okay, I guess I do that one too. It's like that movie, The Game, except. Exactly. exactly. How real so, does it feel? I mean, it, tell me that story. So <laughs> diving into it, I, um, a buddy of mine from the DC uh, texted me. He's like, yo, do you want to get kidnapped next month? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but yes, yeah, I, I do. I get that like, text like every week. <laughs> hey, man, do you want to get kidnapped next month? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah like, uh, maybe next, yeah. maybe the following month, my schedule is yeah, pretty packed. Let's, let's reschedule. Let's rain check on that one. <laughs> so what it was, it was um, a military course. Uh, and a guy who runs it would teach special forces, hey, when you get into a situation out of country, um, and you might get kidnapped, this is how to handle it. This is what to do. Like if the government collapses, this is what to do. Um, so it was him, me, and like a few of the entrepreneurs who went to this course, and he convinced the guy to train it to civilians. 
and like think about it, like you have these military guy training you. You have a bunch of like nerdy entrepreneurs in the room, like trying to soak up knowledge. And the guys, but like, well, who are these? What's your SEO juice on this uh, <laughs> this website you're running over here? Pal? Yeah, what's your SOP when you do these? These get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> but you really need to optimize your kidnapping. Like maybe outsource to a VA. I don't really know. Uh, anyways, we 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 were there, and the first few days was like training on what to do, and it was like you'd have to learn how to pick pick locks, how to get out of situations. And a lot of the training was like situations I'm never going to be in, right? The instructor would ask and say, hey, are you in a country? Uh, the government falls. There's an entire military coup. You're behind barbed wire fence. Dogs are coming at you. What do you do? And I'm like, are you, when am I ever going to be in this situation? Like, why do I need to know this? But you go through this ridiculous training in the last day simulation um, where you actually get kidnapped in a room. You have like a, a hood on and they'll do stuff like um, they'll kind of hit you a little bit. You get stunned with a gun. We got waterboarded a bit. Um, and then you have to they leave the room and you have to get out. And so you get out of the handcuffs. You're out into the city. And there's a variety of like tasks you do. This is kind of like scavenger hunt style where you're out in the city. Um, they're trying to recapture you. And you have to first thing like go to a grocery store and get further instructions and go from there. You have no phone, nothing. Um, so... Uh, the funny story, Jason, is we went to the the instructions to go to like this grocery store. You have to figure out where it is, and talk to the guy in a hat and say, uh, "Oh, it's really cold outside," and then he'll give you the next clue of what to do. Um, it was really hot outside that day, but you have to say it's really cold outside. The thing is, there was like five dudes in the grocery store with black hats on, so I think everyone happened to go to like the wrong guy, and it was like, "Hey, it's really cold outside," and this poor guy was like, "Why is everyone coming up to me and saying it's really cold outside?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah so after that we just have to do a variety of tasks which is stuff like using social engineering like hey get two dollars off of someone take a bus and go here or go here and pick this lock um and the whole time they're trying to recapture you um so it really turned into like kind of game of a tag mixed with scavenger hunts with a little bit of like threat at the beginning uh but just a, a cool experience and a cool learning experience overall wow let's take a brief pause we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big! With the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card, visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on earth we're excited to partner with nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best 
off the beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Let's get back to the show. So yeah, you picked the locks, and then you got on Upwork.com and hired somebody mm-hmm. to come <laughs> pick <outsource>. you up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's crazy. All right, was it fun, or was it sort of, were there parts that were actually traumatic? Because I imagine getting waterboarded isn't too much fun, right? I mean, you know, you know it's sort of a game, but you're still in it, and it's still happening to you. So I always wonder what that line's going to be like if you do something like this. Yeah, I do feel like because we're a bunch of nerdy entrepreneurs, we got like the vanilla version of the training, right? Okay. Where they're like, hey, yeah. just tap out whenever you want to for any of this stuff, and you're fine. I thought I would last longer in waterboarding. I thought I'd be able to just hold my breath and be like, all right, well, I could hold my breath like, you know, for two minutes and I'll be fine. I tapped out in 12 seconds. I didn't even know I tapped out. Uh, it's not it just, bad. Yeah, my hand just did it. Your body just reacts in panic mode and you don't really know what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, at least I know now if I ever actually get real kidnapped and someone's about to waterboard me, I'd be like, just take it. I've got, don't waterboard me. I already know I'm not going to do well here. Just take whatever information you need. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. So, all right. Oh, I hate to backtrack a little bit, but I want to, I want to stay on these things because it's such an interesting travel experience. I guess you could say, in many yeah. ways, or just experience, life experience, a bit of a, a different kind of adventure. And I mean, with the with the survival stuff, at the end, you said you're three days on your own. Is that right? C- correct. Yeah. Is there a backup kind of plan, or are you truly out? on your own having to figure it out for those three. I mean, do you feel totally prepared after the, the five day training that precedes that to, to actually survive for three days? Uh, to be honest, no, but I, I don't think, I guess you're never going to be ready for like a situation like that or anything you're going to get into. Like, even if you're like, Hey, am I fully ready to go travel? Probably not. You just got to go do it and you'll have a bunch of stimulus and experiences and then you kind of adapt from there. Uh, but in my mind, I'm not very much of a camper guy anyways. I just kind of thought like worst case, I'll, I'll fast for three days. People do that all the time. It's fine, right? So in the back of my head, I knew, like, I'll just starve for three days and it's okay. Um, so it was okay. You need water, yeah. So we, uh, that island um, had no fresh water on it. So they actually gave us water because they're like, this is too dangerous for you guys to try to get your own water. We're going to get you water, actually. So at least that part was taken care of. Uh, the funny story is Bear, Bear Gorillas, uh, recorded something on that same island and they put in like a fake water stream to simulate him actually getting water, but there was, there's actually no water on that island. So obviously reality show, they're going to fake it, but I just thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. You, you kind of just survive. So for me, it was a lot of just like, Hey, worst case I'll have coconuts and water and snails and like, I'll be able to survive. Right. Cause coconuts give you 200 calories each. I'll just sit there and kind of wait. Um, and then you know, when you're actually hungry and hungry in, in that manner, you that's all you could really think about. So you can't just sit there. You're just like, all right, let me go hunt. Let me go try to get food because you're just, it's literally all you could think about. Hmm. 
How good was that beer afterwards? Oh, man. I never anything like it. I had like, got back to the restaurant and said, all right, give me four pancakes, entire blade of bacon. Give me a beer. Just give me everything you have right now. And of course, my stomach's like this tiny. So I ate three bites and I was full, but it was the thought that matters. <laughs> Are there any other crazy experiences like that that you've done recently or do you have one queued up? Not yet. I think the next one I would love to do is like a cross-country motorcycle trip. It's a little bit more tame than that. Um, but that's definitely what I'd like to do. I met a lot of people who've done similar things um, just while traveling, and it kind of inspires you. And I guess, Jason, that's one thing which I don't think I would have done this if I did not go nomad and travel, right? You just, again, the humans can normalize anything. You meet other people who do similar types of things, and then you realize like, oh, this isn't that weird. Like there's other people doing it. Then maybe to you, you and your family and friends back home, it sounds very strange. But when you're on the road and you meet people uh, who are doing strange things as well, that becomes the norm and your mind adjusts and normalizes that. So all of a sudden I do these things and to me, it's not weird because I know people doing it, but then I'll, I'll post on Twitter or post somewhere else. I'm like, Oh, I guess it is a little bit strange. Um, so I, I think it's because I traveled and met enough people that these experiences seem like kind of par for the course for the most part. Yeah. And that's why it's so critical to get around other people doing X, Y, or Z, right? Whether it's other entrepreneurs or travelers, which you can't help but get around them if you're traveling because you stay in hostels and yep. people and you're like, I remember when I first went backpacking, I, I showed up and I was in this two month solo trip and I'm thinking on this great adventure. And then I started meeting these Australians and they're like, uh, how long, you know, how long you traveling for the typical thing? And they're like three years. You know, I don't know when I'm going to stop, mate. I'm just like, what, mate? <laughs> this, that, you can travel like indefinitely. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Uh, yeah. This was before, you know, there were all the blogs and the podcasts and whatnot. Some days. Yeah. No, I was uh, always, I just thought the same thing. I was so envious of them because I had like this big three month trip planned as my first trip to South America. And these guys are like, yeah, I didn't know. I just, I got stuck here for like three months and I'm just still here and we'll see if I ever go back home. And sometimes like I truly envied that just like, eh, well, we'll just see what happens. And just, it, it, it's a funny one. But now you're equipped to, you know, pick locks and urban urban survival and and desert nature. I mean that that's empowering though to learn those skills. I've been thinking about this recently. I, I, I've been thinking about doing some of these types of things or just like looking into it because I think it's it it's kind of like knowing self defense or something. You just yeah, there's a certain level level of comfort in in the fact of just having some of that knowledge. You know. Uh, a hundred percent. I think that's probably the biggest benefit of doing any of these things is just a little bit more self confidence. Um, what, am I actually going to use this in a real life situation? Hopefully not, right? And I, but it's not even just the, it's not even that I'm preparing for if that happens. It's just more about kind of building the engine, like just knowing different things and kind of knowing that you've been through something like this and you're fine. Uh, definitely builds a self confidence. I, I feel like that's the number one benefit of doing anything like this. Yeah. Maybe that could be a side benefit too. Sometimes, if if you take off traveling, I I never thought when I was doing it like, oh, I'm doing this to build my self confidence. You know, yeah, it just was a byproduct of having the solo travel experience for me. How long did you solo travel for? Well, I mean, I've done it off and on for many years in different locations, but the very first proper trip I took after college was a, like a two month backpacking through Europe solo trip. But at that time, I didn't know anybody who solo traveled or even that that was a thing that a lot of people did i was yeah totally clueless 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> those those first few months in the hostels are just like so eye-opening, right? I, I remember thinking like, yeah. this is the best thing ever. Like you yeah. meet all these cool people from all these different places and you're like, I'm going to do this forever. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it's such a funny exactly shift. Exactly that. Well, I wanted to ask you about the hustle mentality that you mentioned being part of a, like an immigrant family. You mentioned there's this hustle mentality. How do you feel about that when it comes to business? Because I want to get into some of the lessons you've learned building this location-dependent, location-independent business. What I mean by that is you've built a local business where you have sort of like the traditional boots-on-the-ground local business, which is a cleaning service, made this. And you know, a lot of people, generally speaking, don't necessarily equate that type of business to... The digital nomad lifestyle, although there are, of course, plenty of people out there doing it. It's just not the one that's talked about a lot. And it's not the one that you sort of see online a lot where people are, you know, they got their laptop and on the beach and the ocean water, which, by the way, doesn't really work because, you know, you get sand in your laptop. And then what are you going to do with your laptop when you go swimming? And, you know, yeah, exactly. It's a great picture, though. (laughs) It's a great picture, though. But yeah, because the hustle mentality meets sort of the lifestyle business, which is kind of what. I'm assuming that that's sort of your approach to business, right? Like you're having a business so you can have freedom, but there there's also the sort of the hustle culture around certain aspects of of like bootstrapping a business and building something. I just wanted to hear like your philosophy and how you approach business. Let's talk about lifestyle businesses in general, right? I feel like um, I'm going to make the two extremes. You have a lifestyle business and you have like a Silicon Valley startup, high growth, raise a bunch of money, work 80 hours a week and like, go massive, right? Like you have the kind of the two tracks is almost in a way I kind of think about it. Um, Let's say a lot of people listening, myself as well, pick, hey, I want a lifestyle business track. Um, What I've realized recently is that does not mean it's not high growth. That just means you're prioritizing your life over it. A lot of people pick, think like, hey, because the business is a lifestyle business, I'm not going to grow that fast. I might not make a lot of money, but it's going to be more lifestyle focused. They're not mutually exclusive. You can have a very large business um, and be location independent and have a lifestyle focus. One example would be I have a good friend who I met while traveling, runs a, a business with uh, 400 employees. He's been nomading for 10 years. Uh, massive, massive business, um, but he's optimized for his lifestyle. So a lot of the way I think about it is um, I think people might get into lifestyle business thinking, hey, I, I don't I don't want to like grow massive. Um, and that's okay if you don't, but realize that it still is possible. Uh, and I think in no matter what business you start at the beginning, you, there's a certain element of hustle, time and energy you need to put in. And then you can optimize, leverage leverage people, leverage money in order to grow faster without your time involvement as much as possible. But the paths are kind of similar at the beginning is you still you still have to hustle. It'd be very tough to join and start a company and then say, hey, I'm only going to work five hours a week because I'm optimizing for lifestyle. It just doesn't work. Um, so I, you know, at the beginning, you do need to put more time and effort in scale it and then figure out what you want to do from there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great mindset tip to what you said, it not being mutually exclusive, right? If you think about, okay, well, I'm going to start this lifestyle business and and have freedom, but that means, you know, only be able to make it so big. And what you're saying is, well, no, that's basically a limiting belief and you shouldn't adhere to that to that belief you're basically doing some myth busting here right it's it's like no you can you can scale something and have the lifestyle too not that it's an easy trick to pull off but it's not a foregone conclusion that you need to have that because i that's what i 
does not attract me to the startup world at all is that sort of ongoing hustle mentality where it never stops and then you have investors and then I mean I don't again I don't have the personal experience so a lot of this might be my own limiting beliefs around that but it seems like you have more of a chance of creating a sort of standard desk job for yourself in that scenario, as opposed to taking this lifestyle business approach. Oh, I hundred percent agree. And I, I worked in VC as well as so to see the other side of it where you're hustling, like you're working, you're working. Um, and when you go that route, your boss is the investor for the most part. And if you're like, Hey, I'm going to go travel and be at a hostel. They'll be, they'll be like, I don't, what are you doing with my money? You know, you can't be doing that. Right. So it's definitely a different mentality. And that's specifically why I didn't want to go the VC route at all. Like that's just not the type of lifestyle I wanted. So I started made this instead. And, you know, I, I kind of had that, this limiting belief we talked about until just recently. Um, still grew the business pretty well. Like I, I think maybe grew it to a couple of million dollars a year uh, pre-COVID. Um, and then now we've started franchising the model to other people uh, as well who want to be remote and location dependent. So that would kind of grow a little bit more. But if for a while it took me, it took me a long time to say, hey, am I optimizing for growth? Am I optimizing for lifestyle? Which one, I, which one do I do? And I feel like it kind of shot me in the foot just to have that mentality of I can only pick one. Which one do I want? And I've realized like, oh, that's actually not true at all. I, you can't have both. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Well, you've generated over $10 million in sales from the road while being a nomad. So you've got to pull <laughs> out some lessons here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First, I want to... I want to ask you about starting a local business that you make location independent. What, why should somebody consider that? Like, what are some of the pros and cons, in your opinion, of that model? Sure. And you can describe if you want to just kind of describe what that means. I mean, I did f- try to frame it up in the beginning, but maybe what that means to you having a local business. Yeah, absolutely. So let me talk a little bit about made this in my journey. And by the way, Jason, I, I wish I could say like, oh, I thought of this idea and it was great. I kind of just stumbled into it and it kind of I morphed it in a way, which is location independent. I didn't come up at the beginning and think like, oh, this is a genius idea. Let me do it. But I feel like that's how a lot of opportunities come up. You just kind of get in there and then be like, oh, this isn't working. Let me try something else. So kind of starting from the beginning, when I worked in VC, I just wanted some sort of side hustle. So I tried like e-commerce, drop shipping, like, you know, all, all the these traditional different- online, like lo- digital nomad type of businesses. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I wanted to, like, I saw that picture of the dude on the beach with his laptop. I'm like, I want to be that guy. Like, how do I do that? Okay. I'm going to buy this e-course on how to make e-courses and let me go ahead and do that. Uh, nothing was working. Nothing at all was working. And finally I was at my job and I was on Reddit and I saw a post of a guy who started a cleaning company. And I thought, let me just do this on the side while I try to find something which is a little bit more remote. Um, the one thing out of all the things I was trying, which did work was the cleaning company. It just started to grow and grow and grow. Um, and finally, I remember I was at some conference for like, for a company called Flippa. Um, and I was trying to figure out how to buy an e-commerce company and like start a pet hair vacuum blog. And some guy was like, Hey, if you already have a business, like, why are you, why are you here? What are you like? Why are you doing any of this stuff? I was like, ah, you're right. Like I didn't, I've always thought about my made business made this as kind of just a side business because I would needed to find my real location independent business when i started looking at it in a way of like huh i'm actually not like i don't need to be here that much everything's done remote because i have a full-time job anyways the only thing i need to do is maybe meet cleaners for interviews every now and then um then i started to look and think can i make this business fully remote where i could travel and do this uh and once i had that mentality of i'm gonna make this business completely remote I was able to put the systems in a way where it was fully remote, meaning my current team, for example, is across eight different countries. Calls get routed to my team in South Africa. Um, the cleaners call my team in Honduras. 
And so everything is completely remote. Um, the only thing at the time, which was not remote, was interviewing cleaners in person, which I was actually able to kind of manage just by hiring someone local part-time. Uh, but in short, what we do, um, made this is a, is a residential cleaning company and also an, a vacation rental cleaning company, so Airbnb turnovers. Um, and now the franchise side, we're actually the first and only franchise doing Airbnb turnovers. Um, there's no other franchise doing it right now. So anyways, the systems are were built in a way which can be done remote. And I realized that um, the reason this business grew so much faster than any of the other stuff I was trying is because it's a it's such a low sophistication business in terms of competition, right? Like, I don't know, Jason, if you try to call like, cleaners in your area, eight out of the 10 will not pick up their phone. Uh, and if they do, they're not going to give you like, they'll give you a price quote over the phone and just kind of hang up, right? So what I was doing is bringing like normal level of customer service and like sophistication from e-commerce and all these other things down to the local level and realized, oh my God, this competition has no idea what they're doing at all. We could just dominate just by being on par. And that's what was working a lot. And the fact that a lot of people thought you could not do it remote, but I figured out a way to do it remotely also made it that a lot of these like nomad people and people who wanted to travel the world wouldn't even think about this industry at all. So I almost felt like a hidden gem. It was very insulated from a lot of people and hidden. And the only people doing it were people who were local and didn't know anything about online marketing or how to run a large business. Yeah. And I think there's also something to the the fact of, this is no offense to, to any cleaning companies out there, including yours, but that it's not a quote, sexy business, right? It's not yeah. the thing that people are thinking, oh, but those are the businesses that make tons of money. It's always right? the boring like, businesses that make the most money. My dad lives in South Florida and he had, he has a small RV that he just sold and the guys that came over to buy it were, you know, they run like an air conditioning repair business in, in Florida. And Oof. my dad did some research on him. And he showed up. He's like, you guys are, I know you guys are loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Stop negotiating with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they had like five franchises, you know, and it's just, yeah. I mean, that it's stuff that people need, right? I mean. It is basic stuff. And I think a lot of times we're, we're in this world, we're listening, like you listen to this podcast, you kind of go down the rabbit hole, you're getting targeted with people who are like, hey, you started an Amazon FBA business, right? It's just like, we happen to be in this world, which is, one percent of the real population but we think it's our whole world because we're in this the circle this bubble we're in the bubble uh but the reality is if you if you're not in the bubble and you look outside most people are making their money in business through boring businesses it's not vc stuff it's not like amazon fba it's not like all this sexy stuff it's really boring businesses that's how people make money and the reality is they're making money and they still have bad customer service. They have terrible marketing. Like they just don't know what they're doing in business, but they're making a lot of money because it's localized. Um, yeah. So it's kind of just one thing I discovered through the pack is just you're only competing against your local market. Most of these guys don't know what they're doing. Um, I'm able to come in here, be normal, right? Bring basic marketing in and do it in a completely remote way. Like ding, ding, ding. It, it just, it kind of set off some alarm bells and I thought, oh, wow, this is actually kind of a great hidden gem. So it took a couple of years. Uh, I worked two years part-time. And then after two years, I quit my job and booked a one-way flight to South America and started traveling from there. Nice. Well, you strike me as somebody who lives with passion and is a passionate person. And I'm wondering for people listening that are more on the spectrum of wanting to follow their passion or do something that's interesting to them. And then, and then you're, you're sort of talking about the, the boring business was the, mm. was the quote you used. So how do you, what, what is your advice there? How did, how did you manage that? And 
you know, was yeah. it important for you to follow your passion or whatever, you know, buzzword you want to insert yeah. there? Jason, can I ask, ask you actually, because you have this podcast around a life passion, which is travel, right? Your business is around this. So actually, I wonder it on your end, I'm curious on your answer to this question, because your business is around something I feel like you feel passionate about. What are you? I'm curious on your thoughts about this. Are you turning the tables on me? I, I, I am now the interviewer. <laughs> I am the captain. <laughs> well, the reason why the podcast has been going for eight years is because I'm passionate about it. Could I have been? Could I have done this every week for the last eight years? Probably not. Now, the difference between if I wasn't like super passionate about it and the people I serve and everything like that. So for me, it's an essential ingredient. If we're speaking to this podcast specifically and some of the work I've done around it. But it's also a different kind of thing. Like I would do this pod, even if I didn't have like sponsors or other things going on, I would still keep doing this podcast because I just love it. I, I love the people that are listening that I get to interact with. Hello, you. And talking to you, listening. Uh, but, you know, the thing that you're building is is different in the sense that I think it, well, I mean, I shouldn't say I'm using business terms now, but it, maybe it's more of a sellable asset. You might have like an exit strategy or something like that as opposed to, you know, you're not like saying, oh, I'm going to run a cleaning company for the next 30 years, I imagine. Yeah. yeah Is that I, right? I, it's a good, exti- good distinction. Yeah. Eventually, there'll be a, a sale process. It wasn't in my head when starting it, anything like that. But yeah, let me tell you a little bit of like, my thoughts about people who are like, I want to follow my passion. Um, I kind of found my passion through business. And a lot of my passion is around the lifestyle, right? Uh, hey, I get to travel. I get to do these cool experiences. I could have freedom. Um, also, I realized I love business whether it's cleaning or something else, just the act of like building a team, scaling them, building a culture, you know, doing marketing, figuring out problems. Like I just like that process. So for me, it's a little bit less relevant kind of exactly what the end service is. And I think people put too much emphasis on what is the end service you're providing where the reality is what they're passionate about isn't that. They think it is. They think like, oh, I'm really passionate about fitness. I should open a gym. That's not your sole passion in life. Um, and you will find things through the process that you actually really, really enjoy about it. But 99% of what you're doing in business is not the end service. It's not like that. Just, if you pick the industry and topic, like most, most of your stuff is just regular business stuff that leads to whatever the end service is, right? It's pretty uniform across whatever business you're in. You got to do marketing, you got to build funnels, you got to build a team. Um, so, so when people say, Hey, I want to follow my passion. I, my answer would be, why don't you start something which gets money and then lets you live the lifestyle you want? Then from there, I promise you will find your passion over time once you have a little bit more freedom and time and flexibility and you understand business. Eventually, if you want to jump into a passion, which is like, I want to start a nonprofit and take over the take over the, the world and like help everyone, you can do that. You, you're just going to have a little bit more business savvy behind you. Um, so I, I don't, I actually don't recommend, I don't know if I don't recommend this, but I feel like people who are waiting to find their passion before starting a business are just using that as a procrastination tool. It's, it's, it's unnecessary at least to get going and you will find your passion in other ways. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. I, well, I can't say I disagree a hundred percent, but there are parts of that I don't agree with only because there, there's a lot of nuance, like anything, there's a gray area. Right. And I think if, uh, if for example, you really want to be around a certain scene like let's say you, you want to be around music live music you want to be part of the music industry there is something to I, I always recommend people like find an industry you're passionate about and then just like insert yourself in there somewhere because then you get to be around those types of people now when you're talking about like location independent 
entrepreneurship, travel, you're like, well, I'm just going to like pull myself out of that culture anyway. So I don't need to go to like cleaning conferences because I'm just going to go to like location dependent entrepreneur conferences and I'm going to go get kidnapped and I'm going to do all these fun things because that's a different kind of lifestyle. But there is also something to being an industry that you love to be around. Like I love podcasting. So for me, it's cool to meet other podcasters and to be around that. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a bit of that as well, I feel. I should 100% agree with you. And I think, I guess I'm speaking also from the perspective of I left the industry. I chose to go be in my location independent travel industry to begin with. So it's almost, for me, a little bit less relevant where I'm playing because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be nomadic and I'm going to be in that industry. So I think, I think you nailed it. Uh, I, I haven't thought about that exactly, but that's the reason why I'm a little bit more indifferent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, like I don't, I, that's why I didn't really, I shouldn't have used the word disagree because I don't disagree. It's just, uh, it's just really different ways of looking at it, right? Depending yeah. on who you are and what you're saying. I and mean, that's what this show's about is giving you some different perspectives. So I, yeah. I do agree with you. In fact, that there are people out there like for them, maybe being passionate about it isn't a necessary ingredient. For others, it may be that the only thing that keeps them going, you know, and then there's everybody in between, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> I think a, a lot of these things can be solved just by doing something. Yeah. Um, even if you don't think you're yes. passionate about it, that's fine. You could always, it's not a forever decision. You could do it and you realize that I don't want to do this anymore and stop and do something else. Uh, but I, I always heard, a, I heard a good phrase. Uh, you can't steer a parked car. Right. If you're parked, you can't move the car. But once you, the car starts moving, it could actually steer it and direct in different places and see what opportunities there are. So I think that's a good mentality when you're thinking about what to start is it's OK if you're not passionate about it. Just start something. Worst case, you stop it uh, or worst case, you gain a ton of skills and make a little bit of money and you can do something else. So just getting going, I think, is more important than actually picking the correct industry because you could always pivot. I love that. And that was a perfect way to tie that up because you did say earlier, you know, you have to try something else. That was kind of what happened for you. You're like, well, this been more, I got to try something else. And that's just kind of how it needs to be. I don't think I've met anybody running any kind of business that didn't have to try something else within their business at some point. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, no one's like, it's I guaranteed. Picked, yeah. No one says like, I picked my career from when I'm 22 years old, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I nailed it on the head. Like it just, yeah. it's not that way. No. I mean, even businesses that take off, they still have to come up with different approaches and new products and services and things like that. I love that the random person gave you advice at the, at the flip a conference. It's just, I always appreciate shout out to the random person. You know, Thanks, you never dude. know when the random person's going to come up to you and give you a piece of advice that you like truly take to heart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's funny. is like, I'm sure you've got this while traveling. You always meet people who t said something so brilliant and you remember them forever. And for them, it was a passing thought. Like they don't remember you at all. It was just like, eh, no, I just said something random guy over beers and like they forgot about it the next day. And I was wondering, like, I, I hope I've said something to someone where they were like, oh my God, this changed my life. But what if the reality is just like I've never influenced anyone at all and I've I've talked a lot hasn't <laughs> amounted to anything. That's not uh, the reality. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny it's a funny dichotomy. We'll be back in a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over, I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This 
device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. In terms of a local business, as you described it, do you have a certain framework that you recommend to people for choosing a successful local business that can work remotely or maybe has a better chance of working remotely? Because I imagine that the automating process, the maybe human resources is is maybe the, the most important element, but perhaps I'm wrong. Yeah. I just want yeah. to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I, th- I think there's many local businesses which are more conducive to being location independent than others. And there's some I would not recommend getting into. Um, so let me, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about which ones I think are good and kind of relate back to my business as well as you could see, you could see the parallels. So number one is um, I, I really enjoy home services and the reason is because the the cleaner or the technician can go straight from their home to the job site, eliminating the need for an office. So home services, obviously, you're taking care of the customer's home. You're going to the job site. Um, so because of that, no office space, no heavy overhead. The cleaners could keep their supplies and just go straight to the job site. You don't need an office as much, um, which leads me to the second criteria, which is uh, eliminate um, heavy overhead. You don't want to hold on to tons of supplies. You don't need, you don't want like a storefront where people have to go into. So having like no storefront, no leases, things like that. Again, that's why I think home services lends itself well. But the reality is any service where your people are going somewhere else, not to your office front, there's no storefront, nothing like that. Um, those would be the criteria for the most part. And then you could kind of, that's kind of starting from there and going down from, from there. For example, if you want to be location independent, but open up your own gym, it's going to be really tough. Heavy overhead, there's a storefront people go into. Someone has to be there at all times. Maybe if you get big enough and have enough money, you could hire a manager and that manager could be there, but that'll take some time to make enough money to be able to do that. Um, but the reality is I think, Jason, any business in theory can be location independent. Like I guarantee you the person who buys McDonald's as the owner, he's not managing it, right? He has enough money and McDonald's is a big enough investment where you have a manager from day one. It's just an investment for him. But if you don't have McDonald's money, you need to pick a business model, which is more conducive to that, which in my opinion, I think home services lends itself really well to that. Perfect. Just what I was looking for. I, I wanted to ask you for, for your specific business is how do you eliminate the, the overhead? Do, do you have your cleaners buying their own supplies and reimbursing them? You don't have like a central place where they come and 
get all the cleaning supplies or how does that work for you? I just, I would just like to hear it because it's a real world example of what you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. So for our franchisees, they get to pick two models, either based on their state labor laws, they work with independent contractors or employees. In either case, it's the same. With independent contractors, they actually bring their own supplies and vehicles and stuff. You don't need to provide anything. You're probably paying them a higher portion for that though. If it's employees, uh, you just reimburse them for the supplies and reimburse them for gas for their own car and they could go straight to the job. Now, the good part with cleaning is it's not like you have a ton of specialty material or massive equipment that they need to use. I'd say if you're getting into like floor polishing or something really heavy duty where you have like a massive machine, it's too much to expect any cleaner to buy that. Uh, but cleaning is like, hey, you go to Walmart, get a few rags. Here's a checklist of what you need. It's not that expensive. You get reimbursed as well. So a lot of those things um, the cleaner could just pick up and keep with them. Okay. Do you have white label software or did you create custom software? I imagine because the, the key to making a business location independent is automation, right? And part of that automation is going to be software solutions. So what is your recommendation for that? Yeah, we use third-party software. Um, there was a chance for me to like buy one of the software companies that we were using. And I realized like, I don't want to be a soft, I don't want to run a software company at all. So we use all third-party software, white label it, um, and just string all the different pieces of the software together in a way which makes it very seamless for the end customer. And remember that a lot of small businesses that we compete with, like they barely have a website, right? They don't, they don't really know what they're doing. So as long as you can provide some level of good customer care, um, meaning like online booking forms, making them seamless for the customer, which all involves software, you'd be able to get ahead pretty well. So our focus, we use a lot of different pieces of software, but they all just talk to each other. So that's probably like the proprietary part is how are we setting this up? So all these different softwares that talk to each other, automating emails is doing everything. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's all off the shelf third-party software. Yeah, you're killing two birds with one stone. You're improving the customer experience and you're also automating, which yep. is necessary to go and survive on a desert island or whatever you want to do. <laughs> I want to ask you about the franchise model. How's that working out? I think there's a perception sometimes that it's the franchisor that makes all the money and not the franchisee. And I wanted, you know, I, I think, again, I think that's just like a stereotype. I don't think it's true, but I wanted mm -hmm. you to just speak to that. Yeah. I mean, franchising, I, it took me a while to figure out that that's the route I wanted to go because it does have this like old school mentality of like, oh, franchisors, like who does those anymore? Those are storefronts. You buy a Baskin Robbins or like a McDonald's and do that. So I feel like there's a, a weird connotation with it as well, which is like kind of very similar vein to like going into a local businesses. It's just this old school industry, which needs revolutionizing, right? So in some ways, I feel like we're kind of the new kids on the block there. But the way it works is um, someone buy and made this franchise and open up in their own city. And our model is meant to be completely location independent. Um, you can run it from anywhere. You're pretty much copying what I did. Um, and then you pay a certain royalty, a percent of revenue um, as, as the kicker at the end. So a lot of franchisors um, make their money by selling stuff to the franchisees. Meaning, let's say you have a restaurant franchise. Uh, you have to buy the material from them and they make a margin on that. You have to buy X, Y, and Z from them and they make a margin on that. So a lot of times when people say, the franchisor is making a lot of money off the franchisee. That can be true for a lot of brands which sell stuff to the franchisees. We don't. Ours is pure like, hey, this is, you know, you have the franchise buying, you have the royalty, that's kind of it. Then there's a huge support system on the back end for you. But the way it works is someone would buy a franchise, open up in their city. Um, we help them at the beginning with training, getting set up, ongoing. 
we do like pretty much all the tech stuff for them um, and also help them find their first completely remote worker to, for the team member for them to join their team. Um, so for example, my team, like I said, they're in South Africa and Latin America. We'll, we'll help them find people similarly and help set it up from the very beginning of being location independent. At that point, it's up to them if they choose to be local or travel, right? It's not, I'm not pushing a lifestyle on anyone. It's just, it's already set up in a way where if you want to work from home, if you want to work from Colombia, it's built the doable. Yeah. Was it tough traveling to 35 countries over five years and building a business at the same time? <laughs> it was it's a tough uh, way to travel in many ways. Yeah. I realized very quickly, like I shouldn't be doing this at hostels anymore, which is tough because at the beginning, hostels are so fun, right? That's where you, you just meet everyone uh, that you want to hang out with. So I was in the common room and like trying to work and there's music happening and people are like, hey, we're going to go on this pub crawl. Do you want to come? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I do. Let me just shut this down and go. So I'm sure I could have maybe worked faster and grown the company a little bit faster if I didn't do that. But then what? what's the point of, of right. why I have this to begin with? So, that's the balance. That's the tough balance. Yeah. Right. And I've kind of, I've kind of found that like there's still ways to travel where you don't have to do two extremes of like stay in a hall store, go home and be in an office space. Um, so I kind of morphed into going to a lot of co-living places. Have you have you stayed in many co-living places, Jason? Mm, no, not really. So co-living places are like co-working spaces mixed with hostels. That's kind of the best way to describe it, but a little bit nicer. So mostly longer term travelers, nomads who are staying in a certain place for months at a time and you stay in like a communal house and work from there together. So you kind of get in the zone of like work, but there's still a community around you versus let's say hosteling. You're just around people who are only traveling. It's a different mentality. So I think a lot of my travels morphed over time. They started backpacking, moving fast and slow down and slow down. And now usually I'll get Airbnbs and just be in cities where I could meet, meet other nomads. Um, but it's not focused on staying at hostels anymore. So yeah. It took a while to figure that out. Yeah. Well, the travel evolves too. It's certainly not a static thing. And the things that you need to do to adjust your travel style are sometimes, yeah, just a, a byproduct of, of what's happening in the business <laughs> True, know, or whatever, you, what's going on in your life. So, I mean, business can suck the fun out of travel. I've, I've experienced that before, but also there are other benefits. So... It's, uh, yeah, just depends on where you are. Business can be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you want to try to pack everything in a short work day, you can, you, maybe you won't get as much done and you might sacrifice growth, but it's your business. You get to decide what you want to do. So at the beginning, you know, when I quit and started traveling, even in that first year of me working at hostels and kind of bouncing around a lot, we still doubled the business. Could we have tripled it if I was stationary? Maybe, I don't know, but I'm happy with the double growth anyways. Um, and eventually I kind of figured out, okay, I do, I don't, I'm not enjoying the hostel part anymore. Let me actually kind of settle a little bit longer period in a single place and work a little bit more, which helped me out a lot more. Uh, but yeah, it, it's totally possible to still have a travel lifestyle and scale your business. You might've tripled it, but you know, think about all those pub crawls you would have missed out on. Right. You know, what of the... <laughs> <laughs> all right can you share where everybody can find you and all the goodies here absolutely so if you want to learn more about me um you could just go to made this franchise m-a-i-d-t-h-i-s franchise.com uh actively looking for people to join the franchise system if you're interested in starting a local business which you could run from anywhere in the world uh personally you could find me at neilparek.com uh or on twitter i'm trying to get much more active on twitter 
Uh, you can read about the Ireland story, which we talked about earlier on the podcast as well. Yeah, you got the podcast. Uh, you want to mention the podcast as well? Yeah, actually, I host a podcast called The Remote Local Podcast. It's a podcast about how to have a local business and travel the world. So it's myself and a co-host. My co-host also has a remote local business and does the same. And we kind of just share tips and tricks about how to do the same and kind of our journey through the process. So that's called The Remote Local Podcast. There you go. Thanks for that. And awesome information today, Neil. I really appreciate it. Hope we can stay in touch. Uh, last question your most memorable travel experience that pops to mind, gut reaction. Oh man, a gut reaction would be I was uh, in Austria and that same day I met a group of people who were like, hey, we, we want to do a road trip somewhere. Uh, so I immediately put my backpack down and said, okay, I'm in and just ended up doing a cross country road trip with these completely random people I met. Uh, one of those things with serendipity that just happens and like it's so memorable because it was so... It was so random and and ended up being an absolutely incredible trip. So loved it. Yes. I had a similar experience in Spain. Nowhere to stay. Met some people. We slept in some park by the train station. And then (laughs) for like two hours after we stayed up, we decided to stay up all night because there was nowhere to stay. And it's like, well, it's Spain. So that works. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, after two hours of sleeping, we're like, hey, Somebody was like, you want to rent a car and take a road trip together? And then we all just hopped in this car and went for like 40 Where'd you head? Where'd you end up? Uh, well, we ended up in in Madrid at the end, I think. But we kind of road tripped through the north of Spain and, and then south. It was just... Jeez, that's so awesome. Cool. Just love that. It's one of the things that makes the whole thing worth it, right? Yeah. Spontaneity out on the road. Well, cool, man. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I hope we can stay in touch and good, good luck with everything. Cool. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right. Take care. special thanks to Neil for stopping by the show, sharing his wisdom, hard-earned wisdom there from growing his business while living the nomadic lifestyle, traveling the world. And you can hear how just that mindset shift of making something remote and prioritizing the lifestyle changed things for him and can change things for all of us and really can change the way we approach what we do. The reality is if we want to travel indefinitely, like some of us do here, We will have to find ways to earn a living as we go. And here's another way. I wanted to share this with you because this is another way that we haven't really covered on the show, that whole idea of starting a local business for a local community and making it location independent. I loved hearing his perspectives. And if you are somebody who has spent a significant amount of time on the road, or maybe even if you haven't, perhaps you've been away for a week and something happened, something at home that required your attention. I have found in my experience that there is always a way to get it done remotely. And I experienced this a lot over just living nomadically for a decade plus. It it, just things came up in life and I couldn't always be there to handle them in person. And it's amazing when you get on the road, how resourceful you can become when things need to get done and you can't make it back to the physical place. So you can just translate those experiences you've had personally, if you've had them, uh, to that business mentality, right? And just having the confidence that, hey, I've gotten other things done in my personal life. I can probably do it for my business as well. Maybe you're somebody that has 
a business that's a little more local right now? How can you approach it in a different way? And my experience, I wanted to share this, uh, running a quote-unquote local business, I, I really think you can call it that because I was running an Airbnb at the place I used to own in Colorado. I was living in Europe, where I'm living now, but I had this property in Colorado that was being rented out. And the only way I was able to do that was by hiring a property manager, my friend Ziana, who specializes in this type of property management. And she would just, you know, take a percentage on managing it, but I didn't have to deal with a lot of the stuff, right? And before when I had a tenant, uh, tenants and people that have lived there over the years, you have to deal with that stuff. But even then, it's all doable, right? So my number one takeaway, and just a reminder uh, from this interview, is that you can always get people to help you out, right? It's not that it always has to be you. I think sometimes we can get caught up in this solopreneur, kind of like it's all on us mentality, but it takes a village and bring in people that can help out. Uh, And I, I think when we start thinking in terms of where we can get help and how we can build mutually beneficial relationships, it just takes a lot of the stress off when you realize you can have partnerships and we can all help each other out and help each other still live that lifestyle that we want to live. And we can find like-minded people. The great thing about Ziana and working with her is that she lived this lifestyle also. By the way, I'll drop her website in the show notes if you want to check her out. She also travels and loves travel. She's been on the podcast before. You can find her episode in the archives and the premium feed. She's great and she totally gets it. So we can align ourselves with other business owners who get what this lifestyle is about. Or it can be really anybody that is willing to be a good partner and help out. I think just approaching a business in these terms opens things up. We're not as limited in our thinking. And anytime I can be introduced to something that kind of frees up my thinking and takes off some of the limitations that I have, my own limitations, perspectives that get me thinking bigger. It's super helpful. So I hope that today's show did that for you in some way, shape, or form. Would love to hear your feedback on this one. Any guest recommendations you have or anything else, drop me a line anytime, jason at zerototravel.com or leave me a voicemail on that voicemail box. Now, let me leave you with a quote from one of my favorite philosophers, Alan Watts. And anytime I need to be zoomed out and reminded that (laughs) the universe is this vast, tremendous space and, you know, do I really need to stress out about X, Y, or Z small thing going on in my life now? No. Anytime I need that perspective, I can listen to some Alan Watts. If you've never heard his stuff before, you can just Google. You can find it all over YouTube and different places. But... He has a couple quotes here I wanted to share. One, trying to define yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. Since we talked a little bit about identity today, I thought that would be something cool to share. And one more here. The only way to make sense out of change is to plunge into it, move with it, and join the dance. There you have it. (laughs) Another show in the books. Oh, yes. Forgot to mention a little teaser. I promise that next week you'll hear my interview with Tom, the founder of Desert Island Survival. And 
I don't usually tease out interviews, but since this was mentioned early on, this was a, a, the guy that Neil went with to be stranded on a desert island and learn all the survival skills. Well, I told you I wanted to get him on the show. I did do that, decided since we just talked about it in this show, I would publish that show for you next week. And that's another great conversation. So I look forward to bringing that to you. Until then, smile, take a chance, think big, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Much love. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 